Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. Hello and welcome to the game with me, Allison Rudd. I'm kidding, of course. It's me. It's Gav McCarty. And I'm back with 40 minutes of football talk with Real Bite. And by the way, all these biting jokes were written in by the very funny producer, Chris Skinner. Um, On the show, we will try to minimize them. We're ready to sink their teeth, Christ, there's another one, into today's program. Rory Smith, Clive Petty, and broadcasting from his uh, conference room in beautiful Rippenden, it's Ollie Kay. They'll be sharing their views on the action at White Hart Lane and the latest developments at Portsmouth. But we have to start at Anfield Road. Okay, uh, Liverpool and Chelsea, um, I'm assuming... We want to talk about the game at some point, um, but we should start by the big talking point. Um, this isn't the first time. What's the, what's the big talking point? <laughs> there you go. Rory Smith, he'll be here all week, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Rory, you're the one here with the, with the advanced degree in psychology. Um, I, I want to I, I get from you the sense that I, I, all he calls it a rush of blood, but I could again. I can see that if I were to go and and headbutt Skinner right now, sitting next to me, right, he might react by reaching out and and hitting me, or maybe even biting me, right. Well, but it would be an immediate reaction. Here, it's almost like a delayed reaction to to grabbing, which is fine. But it's something that he goes through every game. It's not like it's a it's a reaction to a foul which could have hurt yeah, or whatever. I think I think I know what you mean. I, I I'd shy away from the word premeditated as well. I don't I don't think Lewis Suarez was sort of wondering about the penalty thinking, hmm, I mean, I, I could bite him. I could, I could not bite him, but I also could bite... Yeah, I'll bite him. I think that what we don't know, and there's no point speculating, is whether something has annoyed Suarez and he's done it, or whether, and this is a possibility with Suarez, he's thought in, in a split-second sort of rush of blood, blood to the head, it might be quite a good idea to bite Ivanovic to try and get him sent off. You know, you bite him, he reacts. By punching you, you get him sent off. I hadn't thought of that, actually. That, that is a... I, I think with what, I, I, as I say, I don't know. So, so the idea is I go, like, pretend, pretend Skinner's Ivanovic here, I, I bite him on the shoulder, he reacts, he, he punches round. me in the face. Uh, referee Kevin, sees that, yeah. Although, obviously, the referee was Kevin Friend, who wasn't watching the game at all and, uh, and, and seemed to have well, head look, up in his there's, behind. There's no so, point... But Yes, but I think it, so do you think, I think that, is, that is one of the possibilities? It is a possibility. I think it's it's more likely that Suarez something's just irritated. Suarez after he gave away the penalty was was clearly very annoyed with the world in general, and I think himself most of all. And I agree with Oli. I think the, the problem with Suarez seems to be that in those moments there is nothing in his head that stops it, that, that makes him think, right, I've got to control myself now. And I take you know the, the argument he plays on the edge, blah blah blah, and that's part of his genius. That's fine, but we you know in society, whatever job we do, we have to control our sort of inner animalistic urges. 
and it's it's baffling with Suarez that he doesn't seem to be able to do that. There was, he did a brilliant interview with the Sunday Times on on Sunday, in which he said that his wife and his friends and blah blah blah, people, all these people tell him he has to control himself more on the pitch. He's obviously conscious of it in his lucid moment. You know, he's aware of it. If you spoke to him today, I'm sure he'd be like, yeah, no, I I, I do need to control myself more. I need to, you know, I need to work on this. But he gets on the pitch and he doesn't seem able to do it, and that. I mean, I think biting someone is, ju- is just plain weird. I, don't, I can't imagine a, a scenario, a, certainly a, a non-sort of amatory scenario in which case you, in which you bite anybody. It's a weird reaction, but also there's something more troubling, which is Suarez's complete inability to, to control his emotions. Unless there is, and there is a, a slight possibility that he was trying to get Ivanovic sent off. But as I say, I don't know, so there's no point in speculating. Um, Clive, I want to... Uh, all right. I'm not condoning or endorsing biting in any way, and let me make that extremely clear. But um, I played rugby to to a decent level, and uh, I'm not going to suggest that biting happened all the time. In um, but there were situations where people would, um, you know, they would go and remove their mouth guard in the bottom of the and they would bite. And I played with people from this country. Uh, as well as people from Australia and other parts of the world. More bitey nations. More bitey nations, yes. I even played with some Uruguayans, actually, uh, funny enough, but they didn't bite. Um, Did you you play while basted in barbecue sauce? (laughs) Generally. I I, have to say I was only bitten once, but still. Um, But I I, I did witness it. And and it is hidden in rugby. I dare say that nobody actually, while you were playing rugby, ran up to you or tried to catch you on the wing, which I'm sure is where you played, Gab. Yes, exactly. Um, (laughs) Tried to get you and actually tried to pull you back by biting your arm. I suspect this happened within (laughs) scrums and and was hidden. You know, this was so blatantly out in the open and play. Well, that's that's what's so outrageous about it. The other thing with Suarez is that, that... as I say, he's obviously conscious of this. He's done all this stuff before. At some point, someone has to say to him, look, Lewis, you, you can't keep doing this. We can't keep making excuses for you. It's the recidivism yeah, that's troubling that's the thing, yeah. Ali, the, the thing is, what next? We've seen it before. There's so much outrage. I mean, I, I, I watch it on television myself. You know, Graham Soonis, Alan Hansen last night. Um, you know, they... I don't want to say it's a negative way, but they turned into like you're wearing a Liverpool shirt, blah, blah, blah. It's almost as if, you know, if Suarez had been playing for Leeds or something or somebody they, they, they didn't like, it would have been okay. But, it, you know, to them, we have a strong connection with Liverpool. Um, they made it, it made it, uh, it made it a lot worse, I guess. And there's going to be a lot of outrage, and we probably won't be talking about Ticano for a while as a result. Um, is there... I, I want to get for you in terms of the mechanism, in terms of what's likely to happen when he is charged, uh, assuming he will be charged if he hasn't already been. Um, do they take public outrage and public and sort of media frenzy into account when punishing the guy, or do they tend to be pretty uh, independent and cold blooded? I think um, I think taking media frenzy into account is always dangerous with these things, whether it's the FA, whether it's... Um, no, I'm not asking you if you think it's a good idea that they take uh, into account, Liverpool, but do they? Whether it's a government or whatever. No, I, I don't think they should. I, I think they should be pragmatic about it. And that pragmatic can also mean um, making an evaluation and, and, and an assessment and, and, and thinking, is this guy really worth it? Is he as much worth the trouble as is, uh, you know, I mean, to, to, to say, is he, is he as much trouble as he's worth I mean he is worth an awful lot as a footballer he's one of the best players in the world um, certainly one of the very best in the Premier League 
and yet because of all this baggage because of the you know because of the reputational damage that comes with it and and it's damaging to the team as well uh, because it means that you know he, he misses he misses chunks of seasons as he as he takes chunks out of uh, uh, I probably won't go there but um, he um, <laughs> he uh, I mean, it, it is a it is a reasonable you know decision dilemma for Liverpool it, 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 they I think they would be wrong to just say on a moral ground we we must sell this guy I think I think but, moral, morally what happened last season uh, was worse I would suggest than, um, than, than, than whatever this sort of rush of blood was yesterday but um, the fact is that it, it all adds up to the Suarez baggage and it makes him um, nothing like the asset as a footballer that he should be and so while they should take internal action while they should find him and, and, and they have found him and it, the money's going to the Hillsborough Family Support Group um, it, it's um, it, you know, it, it's, it's not very easy to say they should sack him because since when did a club ever sack a player in those circumstances except when it was a, a, a player they were desperate to get off the wage board no, no club does that if I'm, I'm Scudamore right now, and I'm going to make Paul a really long face, and this is really bad for the Premier League, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? It's more publicity. It's WWE stuff. Okay, like, all right, so look, I've got this bad boy nutter who goes around, bites somebody. In the end, Ivanovich isn't hurt. I have to suspend him and whatever else. He broke the rules. But this isn't, it's not like people are saying, oh, look, the Premier League is a horrible place and so on. I don't people are going to stop watching. This is more customers, more eyeballs, more people talking ab- about the product, more people probably praising Liverpool for taking uh, you know, a hard stand against them. I'm trying to think, like, who's really aggrieved by this, apart from Liverpool, if the situation gets so bad where they feel they need to sell them? And if they feel they need to sell them, because they're motivated sellers, um, they will end up selling him for less than he's worth. From Suarez's perspective, if that happens, if they have to sell for less than he's worth, it's only good for him because that means he'll sign a bigger contract wherever he goes. I take your point. I think. I mean, obviously, Scudamore's not part of the disciplinary process no, no. because it's the. the but FA what we're saying, like, if you're Scudamore right now, are you really that? Like, are you really pulling your hair out? The Premier League have never shown themselves to be certainly that I can think of. Oli may disagree. Particularly averse to the kind of benefits of yeah the kind of sports entertainment style heroes and villains narrative the kind of the stories of of failure and redemption all that stuff they they don't seem to mind that the premier league don't really make a play of 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 their sort of product being yeah, whiter than white, and and kind of for the pure, and you know, completely kind of innocent, and all there's that. Nothing wrong with that. No, no, no. There's not. not yeah. This isn't a moral judgment. Yeah, I think from the Premier League, it, it kind of adds to this this great Suarez as a character adds to this great kind of soap opera feel to it. Which it's. It, I mean, it, this makes, marks me out maybe as someone who had too much time on their hands as a child. But yeah, there is a lot. There's a, there's a lot of traits of professional wrestling in, 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 in modern football and I think that's that in that's kind of most so, powerful in the Premier so League. Who yeah. is, who are, who are the, who's the who's the damaged party here? I mean, apart S- from e- Suarez's reputation suffers obviously. I think Liverpool's reputation does suffer as a brand, it's bad for Liverpool. Um 
the Premier League probably not football 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 will recover you know it's a there's there's been worse things that happen in football there's this weird kind of morality with certain things I was going to do a blog today but decided I couldn't be bothered with the abuse on Twitter saying that it, this idea that spitting is the worst thing that you can do on a football pitch I've always found really weird I'd I wrote mu- that a decade ago but yeah. I'd much rather be spat at than have my leg broken personally I mean it's a bit grim but it's not and it does potentially spread TB a disease that's on the on the up in London Gab as I'm sure you know it's, um, it's, well I mean I think um, I, I, Ollie, I, I want to make a hierarchy of bad things you can do right but um, somebody on Twitter last night made the point uh, along the Rory Smith lines I guess that this is very bad but is it really worse than you know Roy Keane and Alfie Holland um, somebody go, deciding that he's going to intentionally go and, and injure an opponent and hopefully end his career and then going and writing about it in his book um, I, I would argue that morally, ethically, that is a million times, maybe not a million times, but it's several magnitudes more reprehensible than this because it's entirely premeditated and cold-blooded. And yet, this guy who does it, who incidentally also, and this is one of my weird perversions, happens to be one of my favorite footballers, um, he's somebody who's feted and, and is wonderful and, you know, is has a budding media career. Mm. Well, Keen uh, wasn't exactly... Um uh, canonised at the time, he, he was he was in um, he was he was hauled over the coals by that by the media by the um, by the FA at the time. But, but is it worse than did, is that worse than what Suarez did? Well, yeah, yeah, I, I would argue it was. But that was in two thousand and one, and people were you know hysteria wasn't uh, wasn't quite like it, and, and the media coverage wasn't um, wasn't like it was. Um, like it is now. I mean, I, I remember covering all that, and it, it, it was it was a big deal. But this is bigger because it's twelve years later, um, and and you know, there's, there's the whole sort of Twitter, social media, you know, rolling news aspect to it, which means that, that you know that there is a huge hysteria about it. But I mean, I, I would argue that the um, uh, you know, but I, I've had people sort of tweeting me saying, you know, how is this worse than? Um, you know, a leg-breaking tackle, uh, an elbow, etc. And you can say, well, well, yes, this probably hardly left a mark on Ivanovic, but it's worse in terms of, you know, you are going to get an awful lot of coverage of anybody biting anybody. If it was, um, you know, if it, if it was any two Premier League players involved in a biting incident, then it's going to be huge. It's going to be a bigger deal than a than a than a bad tackle, like a Callum McManaman style tackle. Well, just just if it's Suarez, who's got previous, not only for this but for but for various other things. Then, of course, there's going to be more coverage because that's that's how it works. Moving on to the game as well. Again, I don't want to pick on the referee. Uh, the storage on Bertrand tackle, the um, the the way. You, the, the, the way that at one point it looked like Jamie Carragher was actually controlling the game, not in a bad way, but because Kevin Friend seemed to be lost on the pitch. I just, I, Ali, I want to get this from you. Um, sometimes when we have sort of, I guess, for lack of a better word, tier two referees or guys you know who aren't in that sort of web, Mariner, whatever, echelon, people give them big games to see if they can step up. Is it fair to say that you know Friend didn't really seized the day and had a bad day at the office yeah and it didn't actually seem like a particularly sort of feisty bad tempered game it seemed like there were just a series of of incidents sort of unrelated incidents along the way that, that the referee and, and the officials somehow missed I mean you, you could add the Torres um, Torres elbow 
the Qatar as well. Yeah. I mean, on, on, on a different day, the back page, you know, you, you know, you know how we all love a uh, you know player X faces a faces a disciplinary charge type uh, headline on a Monday morning. You know, on a, on a different day, the back pages might have been all about um, all about that. Yet, um, yet somehow um, the referee saw it and only gave a yellow card. Um, the referee didn't do well, um, but um, it was a good game, though, wasn't it? <laughs> it's it, 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 in other news. Chelsea would, will have a grievance. I'm not quite sure. They'll have a grievance anyway because seven minutes? Yeah, I'm not sure where the seven, seven minutes, minutes came from. What was that about so, anyway? This is what I was told, Ollie, since you're all knowing, maybe you can confirm this, that the reason uh, they played so much was because the substitutes board was up at the 90th minute because somebody was making a substitution. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and so... What happens is apparently, was what I was told, they can't start counting the time until the substitution, uh, until the substitution has been complete. So the board actually went up later than it would, and, and, and it sort of added another forty-five seconds. Does that make any sense to you? It does make sense, but I, I, as, as you all know, Gab, because we disagreed about it before, I, I think that the complaining about stoppage time is, is just a, you know, it's a, it's it's a nonsense, really. I, I, I think um, you know people get very hung up about it. In well, top Premier League managers seem to get very hung up about it. I, I never seem to hear much of that from um, um, managers who haven't managed in the Premier League. We've had this discussion before. Ollie and I disagree, but um, some of us are in favor of real-time two thirty-minute halves. Stop the ball every time it goes out of play. Balls are still dead. Not only do you not have these issues, you also don't have time wasting. But Ollie, who clearly loves time wasting and uh, extended minutes at the end, so the bigger team can go and score uh, the goal against a smaller team, um, and generally loves cheating, is against real time. Is that was that that's an accurate characterization, Ollie? Ollie, I, I, I just like um, long stoppage time because long stoppage time just gives you more. time Time to finish off your your metropole. That's a good point. Uh, and gives you I'll, I'll remember you said that, Mister K. <laughs> and, and just gives you the slightest chance of getting in before um, before the deputy football editor is screaming down the phone. At all right, um, let's move on to what I thought was going to be the uh, game of the weekend, um, Spurs and City, and which turned out to be kind of an entertaining game, certainly an entertaining finish, but um, was obviously overshadowed to some degree by Anfield. Uh, Clive, for 70 minutes, I thought City just completely dominated the game. And I thought that Mancini did everything right. And uh, I don't want to say AVB did everything wrong, but I thought Gareth Bale was unfit. I thought Adebayor was poor again. Um, And then it all changes. Uh, Funnily enough, it seemed to all change. Yeah, I'm supposed to be able to give AVB the credit for finally making those changes. And they did make an effect. I thought... City were incredibly comfortable, you're right, for 50, 60, 70 minutes. Um, Adebayor was just a figure on a pitch. Uh, he was just he was just filling space as far as I can work figure. out. Very tall figure. Bale didn't seem very comfortable playing kind of behind him and, and was kind of felt restricted playing that kind of centrally. It, it seemed to help as soon as Defoe came on and there was someone to, with a bit more movement... Huddleston came on and again a bit more movement and could and could spray the ball about and Bale could drift out and, and Tottenham suddenly found a bit of width it was all very restricted for the first certainly the first half it was all very central as soon as they found a bit of width things changed I'm not quite sure why City changed that, but I mean they didn't they certainly did not seem to be the same team in the second half um, well, whether Mancini is to blame for that I don't know but I don't think it was entirely down to that um, Ollie, you you were there. Um, 
I know for a fact Mancini is, is completely nonplussed and blamed a series of individual mental switch-offs. And I think he generally feels that he laid his team out correctly and he did the right thing, and it was a series of errors. Certainly, um, Vincent Company will will want to forget that game. Um, but he's not the only one. Garrett Barry tying his shoe while, while the ball's... I mean, it's just stuff that you just don't expect. Um, was that your take of those weird last 20 minutes? Yeah, they, they just did seem to switch off um, individually and collectively. And I mean, I, you look at a game like that where, where a team is in, in such total control uh, and cruising and then sometimes the opposition just up their game in the closing stages and, and it takes the team that you're leading by complete surprise and they can't deal with it I mean that's happened so many times down the years and it's why you get those sort of late turnarounds so often really um, but the you know, I, mean, I, I thought City did switch off and, and I, I hadn't been aware of the Gareth Barry, Gareth Barry um, shoelace incident um, but company did seem to switch off um, I, I thought they defended brilliantly um, till that point not necessarily in terms of uh, very visible defending but just being very solid but you know leaving very little space Bale in particular was completely neutralised and then and then Spurs made the switches and, and City didn't react and you know, by, by the time they could react they were 3-1 down I, I, that, that felt like quite an important moment for City I don't know I mean it, Mancini's not the, the, the mood music seems to be that they'll stick with him for another year that they, they feel he's earned that kind of second chance to, to regain the title but you look at things like that just the the, the sort of lacklustre sort of slightly slapdash way to end a game when you know the, the theoretically the, you know the, they're not entirely out of the title mathematically yeah obviously they are in reality and by the it, time people hear this United could be champions yeah I realise that but if, but if City had won that wouldn't have been the case no so and and to be honest, they probably they probably should have won. There's just there's something about City, and there has been all season where they seem completely incapable of kind of, well, to, yeah, to be honest, like really caring. They don't seem to really care, and they haven't cared all season. And that that's the sort of thing. I personally think managers get too much criticism that it's better to control too many elements. But that's something that is very much the manager's responsibility. I mean, they managed to do it for the past the two previous games. I mean, against United and against in the in the semi final. Yeah. I mean that was a fantastic performance right? you know, that, that's a city that should have been and the city that kind of turned up for 45-50 minutes yesterday but uh, as you, you're right why that suddenly they suddenly think well it can't be just because it's only Tottenham and this mm. is easy and you know we're not going to win the title we're not nothing to play for here that can't be right and if when that you, is the case that possibly is well, yeah, that means you, you can lose the edge when you've not when you feel as though you've got nothing to play for you see that with mid-table sides all the time although Alisson actually denies that completely that whole phenom- phenomenon exists but you, you do see mid-table sides sort of you know gets to Charlton syndrome sort of gets a march not really bothered happily you know lose nine games on the bounce finish 14th instead of ninth. but with City they, they kind of do have something to play for in the sense that they have pride to restore to an extent after a disappointing year and you've got to imagine a lot of those players are playing for their futures because Mancini if he stays or whoever replaces him will will want to upgrade a lot of positions I, I know that City have got the best squad in the league but I, you look at the first team and there's not that many that you I mean apart from sort of Silver, Aguero company, Nastasic Nastasic is fantastic company when he's playing well and Yaya Torre when he looks like he, he, he is in Joe any Hart. way interested Joe Hart's gone backwards this year I don't know you can say that you can't say that you get loads of abuse but he has he's gone backwards Joe Hart looks to me like a goalkeeper who is believing his own hype the issue with City 
I mean, I, I wouldn't get I wouldn't get overly hung up on what happened in the the, the final twenty minutes yesterday because I mean, but the fact is that with um, with five matches, well, I mean, assuming that United win, uh, you know, beat, beat Aston Villa or, or our champions sooner or later, City will have been out of the title race, even mathematically with five matches remaining I think everybody would agree even United supporters that this is not a classic Manchester United team a, a multi-talented star-studded Manchester City squad regardless of the fact that they missed out on Van Persie are out of mathematical contention with five matches remaining that is dreadful added to the Champions League failure that is dreadful too um, I'm, I mean yes they're probably going to win it. well they're in the FA Cup final I would expect them to win the FA Cup final, but I think it's been a, a dreadful season for City. Um, what, what can I finish with? Eight, 80 points, something like that. I, I think that's, that's even if they win all their games. I think that's nothing like enough for a squad of, of, of that capability. It, it asks serious, serious questions of... Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Manchini and of the attitude of the players. A big, big failure. Okay, so while uh, we may not have much of a title race after tonight, uh, we do have a rather exciting race for the Champions League for those who care about them. We know Arsene Wenger cares about it. Somehow, Arsenal are third in the table. I'm just going to go through this very quickly because we all need some quick prediction and a reminder. Arsenal have, are in third place on 63 points, Chelsea 62, Spurs 61. Chelsea and Spurs do have a game in hand. Um, Ollie, how do you see this panning out? Well, I, I said Arsenal Chelsea at the start of the season. I think I, I, I moved to um, uh, Spurs and Chelsea at that point where um, Arsenal was seven points adrift. But I, I, I think I'll I I revert to my original prediction and say Arsenal and Chelsea. I, I mean, it's easy so basically, be, based on what the table says, you change your well, prediction. Well, yes, because that's probably what's more likely to happen, and because those teams are, are more experienced, etc. But there's also. Um, Whatever happens, there's going to be an absolutely minimal points difference between third and 
fifth and probably third and sixth, and yet we're going to get enormous wailing um, about uh, whichever club manages fifth. We're going to get, um, you know, Wenger's completely lost the plot um, if they finish fifth on goal difference, or, or we're going to get AVBs a flop if, if, if um, Spurs finish fifth. And it's, you know, whether teams finish third, fourth, fifth does not really. Um, make a huge difference to me about um, the job that manager's done this evening. Um, Roy, and bear in mind, of course, that Chelsea have Europa League commitments as well. And they also have a harder run in. They've still added out to United, although they might have won the title by that stage, probably will have won the title by that stage. Um, they've got to play Spurs, they've got to play Everton. I, I would be inclined to say Arsenal and Spurs just on the ease of the running. But I agree with Ollie completely. I think that, um, and because you don't rate Rafa, no, I agree with Ollie. I think that that yeah, there, there will probably be sort of a maximum of kind of three points between third and fifth, and that's that's one win over the course of the season, and huge conclusions will be drawn from that. And I think that's that's kind of that's talking about the Suarez thing. You know, that's the problem with the way that that the amount of media sort of media saturated coverage that there is of football that we have to take fairly minor kind of random events and pretend that they're enormously significant I think it probably will be Arsenal and Spurs because of the, the run-ins but it, it it may well be Arsenal and Chelsea Clive or Chelsea uh, Spurs could even be Chelsea Spurs <laughs> could even be that could even be yeah I predict it will be one of those one of those Clive, three can combinations. Can you kick it up several come notches? On, come on, can you give us some quality analysis here, please? No, uh, because one because I refuse to talk about Arsenal coming third. It just goes against everything I kind of want to say. Um, but um, I think I still think Spurs can do it. Um, as you say, Chelsea, they're running. I mean, you know, was it? They've still got to play three games a week from now until Doomsday. I think that's going to tell. I think that's just bound to tell, effectively. And and I think because they will desperately try to get to the Europa League final because Rafa desperately wants to win something, so he's not going to jeopardise that. The Spurs-Chelsea game will become pivotal, uh, and I think that will hold the key to the finals to the final place, to be quite honest. Isn't it amazing that Arsenal could well finish third? Just, just remarkable. Yeah, I, I've gone against this thing of... I, I said this at the time, this whole... This whole media storm of writing Arsenal off and this was the worst thing. I thought this is just far too early. We do this all the time. Mm-hmm. This is the worst Arsenal team going, and they were, I, I still believe they were going to get into the top. Four. Oh no, this is the this is the worst Arsenal team. Yeah, well, it, it, it kind of years. is, but right. it's just they it's a testament to the sort of mediocrity of the Premier League. I think that they still managed right. to do it. No more criticism of the Premier League or Premier League Barclays associated Premier products, League. please. Sorry. Barclays Premier League. Come exactly. On. No more criticism of the Barclays Premier League, please. Um, I'm just going to throw this out there, and uh, um, you can give me feedback on it, but especially seeing how tight it is with uh, the Champions League race and the relegation race, um, and seeing how stupid and meaningless goal difference is, the finish level on points, how cool would it be Arsenal and Spurs finishing level on points for fourth place and, like, having a one-game playoff for the Champions League. Yeah, that. Played at Wembley. Wouldn't that be yeah. cool? Because Spurs be interesting? Would win that because that's what we do now. We can now beat the bigger teams and it's what Arsenal don't do anymore. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd go for that, strangely enough. Exactly. Instead, because Arsenal have a goal difference of plus 30 and Spurs have a goal difference for plus 17. 17. Yeah. Exactly. So, you'll, you know, you'll be watching Arsenal on TV and enjoying your Thursday nights. Moving on to our debate this week, uh, we're going to talk some Portsmouth. Um, now, as you may know, Portsmouth, after a succession of um, 
rather unfortunate uh, owners uh, and, and administration as well. Uh, they've been relegated from League One, um, but the good news is they're now out of administration. They had an out-of-court settlement with the old owners, and um, there's now a, a Portsmouth uh, Supporters Trust, uh, which is in charge of the club. Now, I'm assuming nobody here wants to argue that supporters trusts and fans in charge is an inherently bad idea and we should all have wealthy owners, ideally ones living in offshore tax havens. I'm looking at you, Clive. Um, well, I'd like to be a wealthy offshore, you know, offshore tax haven club owner. That'd be great. The yeah. club you support is owned by one, of course. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, nobody wants to argue that supporters trusts are bad. Um, so it won't be much of a debate on that one. But, um, Ali, I want to get from you What's in, what needs to happen? We, we all like the idea of it, right? But the, 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 one of the pitfalls potentially with supporters' trust and one of the arguments the Premier League has made against supporters' trust in the past is that, hey, guys, be careful because when everybody's in charge, nobody's in charge. And there have been a bunch of supporters' trusts that have run up huge, huge amounts of debt and not been responsible in certain cases. Others have been good. I mean, do you think that's a valid criticism? Well, I, I, I think there's... I think if you look at the way various clubs are run, if you, if you said which are the, which are the clubs which are run from an overly emotional um, uh, sort of uh, an objective um, imbalanced manner, you, you wouldn't be talking about Exeter City and um, AFC Wimbledon and, and you know this type of club. You would be talking about Blackburn Rovers, Queens Park Rangers. We um, might be talking about Bournemouth. Well, Sorry, but, but, but there have but, been... Bournemouth are a huge success. They're, they're okay, sorry. Okay, you, you, I'm sorry, Ollie. I don't, you know, I don't follow the lower leagues, but if Dan Johnson were here, um, he would no doubt point to half a dozen supporter trust-owned clubs that ran into, or supporter trust-run clubs that ran into trouble. I think in the interest of balance, you know what those clubs are. You ought to be able to mention them, right? Well, yeah. No, I mean, what are, which ones are they? Well, one example is—I mean, Notts County were, were in the um, ownership of, of their uh, of their supporters, and then um, a guy, you know, guys came along from uh, this um, Qatari group, Qatari group supposedly called uh, Munto Finance in what was that, 2008, 2009, something like that, and um, they sold—you know—they they thought this was the club's golden ticket, and um, and these shadowy, mysterious owners who were who were con men basically um, took the club into into enormous problems um, from which you know, the club's since stabilised. But I, I think there are any number of examples which show that um, a sensible um, group of supporters, uh, investors, call it what you like, would be. Um, a great deal better than than, than the options in, in many cases, and obviously, obviously there are there are many instances. You look at somebody, a club like West Brom. West Brom are very well run and uh, run by you know a rich guy who's who's low profile and doesn't doesn't sink enormous amounts in, but but, but but the club is well run. You know, would their support would their club be better run a better place than the ownership of their supporters? Probably not, but there are many clubs that would be. Um, Roy, I I generally think that believe in supporters' trust as, if not outright owners, at least with a strong presence at the club, basically because I am convinced that football is murky and there are a lot of thieves and charlatans in football who steal money uh, from football clubs. Uh, And I think 
or run clubs badly or in a very risky way. And I believe in oversight and transparency. And I like to believe that if supporters have representation or, or ownership, we are going to be guaranteed that. Is there another benefit apart from that? Because you've got to weigh that against the fact that you know a supporter's trust might have more difficulty, for example, raising money for capital investment than, uh, um, than Lakshmi Mittal. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that it's great news for Portsmouth that they've become supporter-owned, but I think the thing that, they, that the club will have to... The, the fans generally, the, not necessarily the fans who are involved in the in the ownership scheme, but the, 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 the sort of general supporter base will have to accept is that there is a... That place is like a natural limitation on what they can expect to achieve. They're going to go down to lead two. The funds that they'll be able to raise, I would, would have thought, will be enough to compete and probably with the size of the club succeed in lead two. Probably the same is true of lead one, maybe the championship. But it, we, you can't, you have to spend an awful lot of money to get up into the Premier League and do well in the Premier League. And that's where the, the limitation of the, of the idea of the sort of, yeah, the mixed model, I guess, would be the solution where you have. Supporter representation, whether that's at twenty five percent like Swansea or fifty one percent like it has to be in Germany, um, and then the other, the rest of the money kind of comes from from either someone like Adidas or T Mobile, like it is at Bayern Munich or or a company or an owner or whatever. That that's maybe a better model, but pure supporter ownership, given how much Premier League clubs a are worth to buy, but b more importantly need to spend does place a natural limitation and the supporters I think at Portsmouth will have to get will have to sh- display a patience with, with this structure because it is a positive but it's not it's not, it's not the same as having a yeah, an Abramovich or a Lakshmi Mittal come in and chuck, chuck billions at it but I agree with you I think that, that football 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 cl- clubs are not normal businesses shouldn't be run like normal businesses they, there is a, a responsibility to, to the communities which bore them and which support them um, and yeah, obviously we're all we're all for fan ownership, but it does. It's not. It's not kind of a panacea to all of a club's problems at all. Clive, um, now that there's a version of financial fair play, obviously in the football league, um, there may be one coming in in, in the Premier League uh, as well. I still don't understand because one second it seems like oh it's definitely happening and and it's some sort of evil plot by certain clubs. Other times, um, I mean, I think there's still a lot of things that have to iron out. Might that help facilitate? Um, the rise of supporter-run clubs because you know, it, it, you, know you don't the, the competition aren't going to be able to go and spend a hundred you know lose a hundred million pounds that yeah. year. Then I suppose if if we're saying if those financial fair play um, restrictions exist, then yeah, there is a level of which nobody goes above, and it gives you a some sort of ceiling or something to aim at. Um, as long as as you say, clubs clubs are sensible. They you know they're, they're presume not-for-profit organisations sort of supporters trust things if they don't fall into the uh, as long as they keep their fandom at one level and keep it on a business level because if they start chasing that idea of well you know say we'll stick with Portsmouth they're in League 2 we've got to get to League 1 that guy who's going to get us I don't know 20 goals let's go and splash out on whatever um, that did happen didn't it that's one of the examples of a was it I can't remember it was one of the North West clubs Rochdale or Macclesfield or Stockport or someone like that where the fans took over and the decisions that were made were not particularly sensible in the long mm. term well, they backfired that, I mean I think that is a problem the that's the gamble yeah I mean as long as they I think quite sensibly that you know there, there was a representation I think at Portsmouth of you know the supporters trust but then, then there is a, an actual board of people of sensible business people who if they stay sensible business people there's a chance that this well, definitely succeeds but the, the, the weird thing is that football clubs aren't complicated businesses at all no. it's it's you, you, you 
someone told me once that in terms of a business model, you basically know what your incomings are and you basically know what your expenditure is every year. It's, you know, you get your season ticket money, your TV money, all that stuff, and then you have to pay people's wages and maintain the ground and you know, have a groundsman and all that. It's a fairly, they're small, even the biggest football clubs are not sort of complicated companies to run in the manner of, say, a, you know, a GM or whatever, another big company. And yet they're constantly Vodafone. crying and moaning and bitching and stuff like that, the Premier League, can you need to give us more money, blah, blah, blah. No, no, I'm not, I'm not, no, no, I'm not, I'm not saying... But it's, it's, it's amazing, though, like how much these people whinge when in reality attendance, especially in the lower leagues, is at the highest like, mm. it's been in like 40 years and people still can't run clubs properly. I'm not talking about supporters, I'm talking about individual owners. How, mu- how much money comes yeah. down from the Premier League is a different issue, but in terms yeah, of... But, but why oh, they I, think they have to go, they can go like, oh, look, I can't run my own business, so let me go, and it's kind of like, you know, imagine Skinner's wealthy and good because he's wealthy, and I, I don't have a, a pot to go to the bathroom in because I've gambled it away buying some striker from League One, and then I go and I, and I demand that Skinner gives me money. I mean, it becomes a shakedown at that point. But the ultimate stakeholders in football are, are the fans, and the Premier League still don't seem to quite grasp the idea that they're... The, the, the current model where anyone can come in with you know leverage with debt or whatever and and take over a club is something that a lot of people kind of resent and I think until you you get to a tipping point the Premier League won't acknowledge that at all does for them everything's fine they're really successful they got loads of money you know it's, it's most watched league in the world all of that it's getting bitter and bitter all the time until there becomes a tipping point and I don't, I don't know what shape that would take I, I don't think they're that bothered about having fan representation at clubs it, I don't have the impression they really care it's, it's a classic I think Turkey's Christmas situation right. of course because you know I think Scudamore might sit there and be like hmm this would be better for the Premier League business model if we had more transparency or if we did this or that but ultimately while sometimes it might seem like he's lord and master of the Premier League he's not really it's the 20 clubs yeah. um, who, who vote on it and, and he's got to abide by what they want to do and probably doesn't take too much imagination to imagine that certain um, owners of football clubs, say um, Bermuda-based billionaires who uh, get their education and their benefits from this country but then decide to go there because they don't want to pay the same amount of taxes or perhaps uh, absolute monarchs uh, uh, of countries with very dubious human rights records um, might not want Scudamore or his accountant snooping around uh, their business. All right, enough of the fan stuff. Time for some quick hits. Queen's Park Rangers lose at Stoke, and Red Dab says he wishes he'd tried harder to sign Peter Odenvingi from West Brom. Rory, is this the last nail in Rangers' coffin? And would uh, Peter O have made that much of a difference? Uh, I think it is the last nail in Queen's Park Rangers' coffin. I think that they are still mathematically capable of, of getting, getting to safety, but uh, maths aren't all they're cracked up to be. Um, I thought it was really strange that, that Redknapp kind of said that that was the turning point of the season. Oh, Peter Odenwindy's not, not Pele, do you know what I mean? He wouldn't have he wouldn't have suddenly turned them into a world-class outfit. But I think it's much easier for Redknapp to say, oh, if we'd signed Odenwindy, things would have been different, rather than to say, I've come in and sin- sin- singularly failed to generate any sort of cohesion or team spirit within my players. Townsend, Genus, I thought all these guys brought great teams. Town, Townsend's done okay, to yeah. be fair. Townsend's yeah. not bad. Genus is a pointless footballer. Wayne Rooney enters the final two years of his contract at Old Trafford in June. Um, Ollie, will he get a new deal? And I sense a general malaise around the boy dating back to the mysterious uh, injury he suffered that nobody knew about a couple weeks ago. Um, why does everybody seem so down on him? Well, it's a good question. I, mean, I think I think there's been a sense. I mean, it's not a, it's not a media issue. I think the media are reflecting uh, negative vibes towards Rooney from within. 
United from within the club. Um, and I think there's been a sort of loss of patience with him from um, from Ferguson in particular. Um, there's been a frustration that, he's, that his, his form this season, and it's formed probably since his new contract um, two years ago, has, has, has not been great. And um, I, I wouldn't put a great deal of money on him being there next season. I, I think, it's, I think it's, it's a very difficult one to call because it's not immediately clear where he would go. But, it, but it's... Um, but but there is a situation there which is undoubtedly worth monitoring. Keep keep your eye on James Ducker, who is uh, very much on top of this situation. Should always keep your eye on James Ducker. I, I'm sure we'll be going back to this one, but I just find it completely absurd. But um, he's going to be United's all-time leading goal scorer by the time he's 30. Um, and statistically, this is one of his best ever seasons. And United have won the league by an enormous margin. Andy Carroll is now flavor of the month again after some good performances for West Ham. Um, Clive, is he top four material? Um, I'm not sure where these. What's he done? Legs. He scored and leapt high again and made another goal, isn't he? I mean, that's he also laid out David de Gea too. Yeah, that was funny, wasn't it? I quite, I kind of like that. I thought that was fantastic. Um, so you haven't changed your mind, on Andy? Cowell? No, I haven't changed my mind, on Andy Cowell. He's a. If we're talking the top four, which are the? I'm not sure which top four club that's okay, going to. Is he Liverpool material? If not top four, well, not the way not Brendan Rodgers Liverpool material. I'd have thought no, uh, they're not going to play like that. But can he, um, can he bite people? Yeah, no, stop it. You're just being so mean to Andy Carroll. Tough week for Wigan as they lose two games from which they probably deserved more. Um, Rory, if they go down, will Ro- Roberto Martinez's uh, job prospects suffer as a result? And should they? I'm considering doing this entire answer in a Speedy Gonzalez Mexican accent, like you just used. Um, yeah, I think I, I get the impression Martinez in one sense should have jumped maybe last summer when I think Villa and Liverpool obviously were in for him um, because it looks increasingly like Wigan's luck might run out but that said I don't think there's any shame at all in Wigan going down in terms of the, way, the wages to pay the, the squad they have um, and they've got the FA Cup final which obviously is a remarkable achievement for him is Although, it really? Well, given, I, I looked who they played yeah, along the way they've, they've, they've played absolute draws yeah, but do you know what, except for everything yeah, but do you know what that, that's not that's not unique in terms of team to be fair final. you know funny because they played absolute draws but he played his reserves in most of those games right up until yeah. the quarterfinals which I thought was absolutely extraordinary but hence my Golovar that, reference yeah, earlier that, today that, that's not unusual in terms of sort of smaller teams who make it to the cup final that's kind of the glory of the cup Martinez is still a good manager he will still get a good job but I think he is rel- reliant on the right sort of job becoming available this summer so I'm not sure he's furthered his career I, going down I don't think will necessarily damage his reputation notice how he was Martinez when Rory started his, uh, his answer and then became Martinez towards the end of his answer. Paolo Di Cagno leads Sunderland to another win, uh, 1-0 over Everton. Ollie, you were sceptical when the great man was appointed. What do you make of it thus far? Uh, I was sceptical, you're right, uh, and I'm impressed by the impact he's made. I mean, two, two, um, two wins from three games um, has almost certainly kept Sunderland up and look at their remaining fixtures I would expect them to, to, to win more now that they've got that feel good factor back um, he's done a really good job um, not just uh, from a point of view of enthusiasm though I think that's a important part of his uh, makeup as a manager but uh, tactically they look um, they look good they look solid um, they're working for each other they do appear more energetic fitter um, than, than, than they did two or three weeks ago and it's, it's 
it's um, it's what we would have uh, what, what, what two seasons ago we were calling the O'Neill effect. Arsenal win at Fulham. Jack Wilshere can seemingly only play 20 minutes or so per match because of some injury that Wenger fears he may re-aggravate and which nobody seems to really understand. Um, and yet, they're on course for third place. Uh, Clive, we touched upon this earlier, but if they do finish third, should all of Wenger's critics eat humble pie or should we move back results and judge this uh, season on something other than simply point, you know, wins, draws and losses and conclude, hey, it's time for a change? No, I don't think they should eat humble pie. I don't think, uh, I just said, as I touched on earlier, I think a lot of, they've been on a good run recently, which has got them into this position, allied with um, a few poor results to, for their rivals. I don't think they've done anything they should that they shouldn't have done, i.e. beating the likes of Fulham. I think they should be expected to do that. Uh, and I think they are still a top four they are still a top four team. It doesn't alter the fact that unless we're saying that Arsenal's sole objective now is purely to be a top four team. It should surely be a title challenging top four team, uh, in which in which they are quite blatant quite patently not. Uh, so no, I don't think we should apologize to Wenger. We've still got to sort out a lot of problems there to, to make that team what they were a few years ago well, eight years ago you know so true journalistic son Roy uh, Smith has made his excuses and left so uh, Gab it's Champions League semi-final time how are uh, Europe's final four preparing well, it was a mixed bag there, uh, Clive. Uh, Real Madrid, uh, I think they're going to be fine injury-wise. Marcelo is a bit of a doubt, but they warmed up by uh, um, beating Betis 3-1. didn't play particularly well, but they also played all the scrubs. Uh, Barcelona mixed things up again as well against Levante. Messi still a doubt, supposedly, but I think it's. I think he will play. I don't think there's much issue there. Nice to see Abidal play 90 minutes. Actually, looks really, really good after his second uh, tumor uh, operation, uh, although I don't think he's going to feature mid- midweek, but they do have some uh, major question marks at the back. Bayern Munich romped all over Hanover 6-1. Um, Neuer made a tremendous uh, ricket. Uh, for some reason, for a very good goalkeeper, he makes enormous howlers occasionally, but everything's fine with them. And uh, Borussia Dortmund uh, beat Mainz, and curiously, Klopp decided to, unlike everybody else, play his starters, believing, I guess, that uh, they need, believing in rhythm and momentum, I guess. That's all we've got time for this week. It's been fun. It's been real. It's been real fun. Thanks to my guest, Rory Smith, who has left the room to go to the bathroom, Clive Petty, and, of course, Ollie Kay. You can find us on Twitter to share your thoughts, or you can email us, as so many of you do every single week. It's gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. You can, of course, go to thetimes.co.uk for all your news, your views, your web chats, your blogs, your analysis. Tomorrow, a special day, Tuesday, you get both a web chat from me and a blog. Isn't that nice? Uh, And, of course, you can follow us all on Twitter. Um, Rory especially likes it when you hurl abuse at him. Ollie and me, not so much. Clive, not at all, I would imagine. Till next time, bye-bye.